The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all peoples to inhabit the whole earth. And he allotted the times of their existence and the boundary of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps fumble about for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd to whom the sheep do not belong, sees the wolf coming and abandons the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them, all because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the shepherd of all knows me, and I know the shepherd of all. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them as well, and they will listen to my voice. Thus there will be one flock, one shepherd." Amen. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for bearing with us through tech issues. It's so, so important that we are able to be in community, um, both in person here and online. So sometimes it can feel a little strange if you're in the room and like, why is everything just sort of halted? Everyone, everything was going great. Um, but know that it is, it is to care for our online community who is going, this looks lovely, but why is there no sound? <laughs> So thank you for bearing with us. I love these scriptures today. Uh, There are some pieces of this that you may have heard folks talk about or maybe precious to you. One of my favorites is the idea that it is in God that we live and move and have our being. Another is the image of God the good shepherd. Jesus the good shepherd and God the shepherd of all. These are really powerful and potent images These ideas that have uh, permeated religious spaces and helped people feel connected to God. But sometimes they can also become so known as to be cliche or feel a little empty. Sometimes these are concepts that we never resonated with in the first place. And so we might hear it sort of as static in the way that people talk about God, but it doesn't really mean much to us. This is the way that I felt for a while about the term sustainer. Has anybody ever heard the phrase, this is in a more like explicitly Trinitarian setting, but God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, sometimes talked about as the creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer or sanctifier. Has anybody ever heard that? All right, a couple of people. I'm not the only like weird uh, liturgy nerd in the room. But that That phrase, you know, the creator, okay, God, the creator, creator, God, got it, on board. Jesus who redeems us, familiar with that situation too. But Holy Spirit as the sustainer, 
What does that even mean? What does it mean to be sustained by the Holy Spirit? That became static in the back of my mind. But as I was sitting with this scripture this week, it really felt like, oh, right. This is why I always get that scripture that says, in God we live and move and have our being. I always think that the scripture is talking specifically about the Holy Spirit, when in fact, Paul is just referencing God in general. But this idea that we are sustained by God is actually predicated on that first creation. Now, back in Genesis 2, we have this gorgeous story of the way that the humans became created into being. God is doing God's thing, making all kinds of stuff, and then God takes the clay, the earth, this substance, which is just earth in that moment, forms it into the shape of a person. It's still just clay, just laying there. And then it is God's breath, God's spirit, that goes into this clay through a holy kiss and animates that clay into the first human being, Adam, Adam, we often say, which just means earthling or clay creature. And so we know that it is not our substance that animates us, that brings us into being. It is the very breath of God. Has anybody ever kind of thought about that before? Felt like that was a beautiful story? Like, oh yeah, God's breath is what made human beings. We are the breath of God and stardust. We've talked about that a little bit before here. So hopefully, at least for some folks, that feels like a resonant image. But what we don't often talk about is the fact that that is not just the spark of life, the beginning. That is not just this one moment but it is a sustaining and ongoing experience. It is God's breath that is in your lungs. You are not merely made of clay, sort of brought together like a Frankenstein creature with just like a jolt of Holy Spirit lightning in the beginning left to roam the countryside. No, the Spirit of God is breathing in and through us at all times. And so in every moment that you are alive, you are being sustained by the Spirit of God that breathes in and through you. There are Christian mystics who talk about how all of creation is sustained in this way. That all of creation is essentially loved into being at every second throughout all time. And what they mean quite literally is that if you were to hold a rock in your hand, you would be holding something that is loved by God. And you would know that it is loved by God because it is still there in your hand. And if God were to ever cease loving that rock, it would disappear from existence. That the love of God, the choice to sustain, is what holds all of creation in existence. And this may feel like a highly like, conceptual thing, right? But the important part for us today is recognizing that if God's love is what sustains creation, if God's love is the only reason creation exists in any point or moment in time, then we have evidence that God still loves us as long as we exist with breath in our lungs. And so it is God's love breathing us into existence. 
We trust that there is an existence on the other side of this life too and we will discover how God's love is sustaining us in that time and place as well. But here and now, no matter what suffering you are experiencing, no matter what uh, frustrations you are going through, no matter how disconnected you feel from the love of God, you have evidence that God loves you because you are still here sustained by the one who created you, still being loved into being every second of every moment. Now, God's love for you, for us, is not dependent on our belief. We don't have to believe that God loves us in order for God's love to bring us into being. We don't have to believe in God's existence for that to be true. And God respects our boundaries. If we don't want to engage with God's love for us, we don't have to. But it is God's love that animates and sustains us. And that is helpful information when we are moving through our life in search of love. Now, we talk about love here a lot. That's kind of our shtick at church. But what is love is an ongoing conversation we need to keep having because love is such a contested idea in the world. I remember when I was a teenager, one of my closest friends got a tattoo on their arm that just said, love is a verb. They were not a DC Talk fan. For those of you who grew up uh, listening to Christian alt music, uh, (laughs) but uh, they were an atheist highly embarrassed by that correlation later when they found out. But what is love? They got that tattoo, I think, because they were experiencing a world in which love was portrayed as a feeling rather than a set of responsibilities contained within an accountable relationship. Bell Hooks, in her book All About Love, talks about how clarifying what love is is really important to having healthy, loving relationships. Because so many of us were taught to commingle the ideas of love and harm. But a clear definition of love that means the world to bell hooks comes from Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled. He writes that love is the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. Again, we're back in like high concept land, right? (laughs) I thought we were talking about love. But love, by Peck's definition, is an extension of the self, an offering of the self. And you can offer that back to yourself or to one another. But it is for the sake of expansiveness, the expansiveness of, of growth, of spiritual expression and development. Psychologists would talk about this as self actualization. It is being a part of your own or someone else's journey to become themselves. That is what love is. And love is a kind of presence. Love is a kind of offering. Love is within relationship, a state of being that calls for a type of action. And when love is done well, it is so powerful that it can be palpable. Right? Like love is something that you can feel often, especially when it is done well. My friend Lori was talking about her experience with the spiritual teacher James Finley. She was a part of a huge cohort of folks who were studying under Richard Rohr and James Finley, um, these kind of modern mystics. And she said that walking into the room with, with Jim Finley, you could just 
feel the love, like a, like a fog in the room. You could feel it in the air. And one of her cohort mates said to Jim, what, what is that? What is that feeling? Like, I, I feel just like love cloud, you know, what is this? And Jim was like, oh, I'm just loving you. I'm just sending out love into the world right now. That's my practice. It's like what I do. And, and Lori was like, oh, so simple, but so powerful. And he has spent his life perfecting this, this practice of sending out love. And she says that being in Jim's presence is ex- for her experiencing the purest embodiment of the tender love of God that she's ever experienced in the world. Now, there are people who are that loving by practice, but there are also these moments, these pure human moments of experiencing love that are more spontaneous. People can offer love in these powerful moments. Creatures, all kinds of creatures, pets, nature, can offer this love in ways that when we are attuned, we feel it so powerfully. Who have you felt love just radiating off of in your life? I want you to actually shout this out. Are there people, are there pets, are there places where other parts of creation have loved so palpably, so powerfully that you just, you just feel it? I'm seeing some of you nod and say, yes, I want to hear about it. Who are your people? Who are your creatures? Your puppy. Cat. Spouse. Hey, bae. Anyone else? Your nephews? Your nibblings? The beach. The ocean. Yeah, for me, like Michigan. Hmm? The sun, there, what's that? Trees? Uncle. Hmm? Oh, living, sitting in a live theater, feeling the love radiating off of that crowd and that creative experience. Absolutely. So many of us have felt these moments, and, and it's, it may not be something that we feel at all times and in all places, but if you have felt this kind of like ambient, radiating, joyous love, you have felt the presence of God. And that is the thing that brings you into being at all times. And I want you to know that that is your source, whether or not you can feel it. Because in those moments, love feels real, Right? But in those moments when we feel really distant from that, it feels like love is an illusion or a lie or a fantasy. Has anyone ever felt that way? Like maybe they were making it up? Like maybe they can't even remember what that felt like anymore? There was a time when I didn't think that God's love was for me because I could not feel it. And I hadn't felt it in a long time. When I was a kid, I had these kinds of spiritual experiences, moments of feeling really loved, moments of feeling vibrantly alive and connected. And I was given language for that, that this was God. And as a kid, I was, I was tuned into God like a frequency. 
And it wasn't all the time, but it was enough. These reminders here and there of love and connection and life. But I also experienced pain and wounding and suffering. And in my adolescence, those experiences of trauma built up in my body, built up in my nervous system like a highway pileup. And the strategies that I had employed intermittently as a kid to deal with pain and suffering, like dissociation and distraction and distancing myself from others and from vulnerability, these things that I had only done in moments of absolute crisis, they sort of calcified in my system. They became my default settings rather than my crisis settings. Now, these were survival skills. These are tools that our body has to distance ourselves when the moment that we're trying to be alive to is violent. I believe that those tools were given to us by God, that it is with God's blessing that I tuned out when my system couldn't take it anymore. And yet when those things begin to calcify, we lose that connection to God and to others and to ourselves. I didn't know at that time that that was a gift, that that was a survival tool. I thought that I had just lost it. I thought that whatever relationship I had to God, to love, to connection, just wasn't for me. That maybe I wasn't good enough for it. Maybe there was something wrong with me, that I wasn't capable of connecting, that I wasn't capable of feeling that love anymore, or maybe there was no one there to love me at all. Now, other people believed in God, and I saw it. Other people felt loved by God, and I experienced their experience of love. I just didn't have it. I thought, faith is a relationship. It's not an intellectual assent to a set of ideas. I can't just say that I believe in God, because if God's not there to love me, then what is this? I thought God just wasn't showing up for me. How lucky for other people, I thought that they felt connected to God, that God hadn't left them. But it just wasn't something that I could have. Now, Paul is talking to folks in the scripture from Acts today, explaining a kind of process by which God put all things into motion in the world, that God provided that breath, that God loved everything into being. And then Paul says, God allotted the times of their existence, and the boundaries of the places where they would live. So they would search for God and perhaps fumble, fumble about for God and find God. Though indeed God is not far from each one of us. In God we live and move and have our being. Paul is articulating an experience I had in this really painful way, which is that even as God was sustaining me, even as God was present to me, even as God was loving me into existence every moment of the day, I couldn't feel it. I didn't know it. I wanted it so badly, but it didn't feel like it was for me. I began to fumble. I began in a blessing to fumble. I came into a time of crisis, and I began looking for God. Not just lamenting that God wasn't for me, but searching in my grief, in my heartbreak, and realizing that I was angry at God. Now, my analytical brain decided to take this information and run with it. 
That's strange, I thought. I didn't think I believed in God. I didn't think I had a relationship with God, but I'm real mad. I can't be mad at no one. And so I thought, okay, there is a relationship there. It's just in pain. But I couldn't hold on to that angry, abandoned, betrayed feeling all the time. It was too painful. And so I had then, in that moment, to hold on to an idea. I thought, okay, in these moments of deep pain, I feel the break in my connection with God, which means there is a connection that can be repaired. But I can't feel that all the time. It hurts too much. So I will hold on to the idea. I will hold on to the idea that God is there and I'm very mad at God, even if I don't feel it. And I began to fumble. For me, that looked like reading. It looked like talking to trusted loved ones who knew God. It looked like talking into the dark to no one, sort of on the hope that someone was hearing me, even though I didn't feel it. The idea that God was there became true for me relationally over time. And it was because I practiced I practiced looking for God. I practiced sensing God's presence. For a while, that only touch point was anger, and so I followed that rage into the dark, and I found God there, and I yelled at them. But there were other moments. There were moments when I was coming alive, when I was breaking the shell of my body open and saying, I feel grateful. I don't know what for. My therapist told me to practice, so... I feel grateful for the clouds in the sky. There was one day I was sitting on a park bench trying to feel grateful. And I couldn't and I didn't. So I said it anyway. I said, I'm grateful. And I looked up at the sky and I saw the clouds and I was like, I'm grateful for the clouds. (laughs) But then I sat with it and I tried to practice. What would gratitude for the clouds feel like? And I just noticed I noticed the clouds wisping through the sky. I noticed them bunching up together and puffing out. I noticed the bright blue behind them. I noticed the light breeze that felt nice. And for a tiny moment, I did feel grateful. I did feel connected. I did feel loved. And I held on to that as it disappeared again into nothingness and into my despair. But I took that as another data point. This can be found. My gratitude can be found. I can seek it out. And so I practiced. I kept praying. I kept reading. For me, the easiest place to release and let go and feel that anger that connected me to God, that grief that allowed me to feel alive, that gratitude, that appreciation for beauty and joy, that showed up most for me, that was most accessible to me when I was singing songs of worship and praise in a crowd of other people seeking after God. I found myself at an evangelical church that didn't share a lot of my values. I had to do a lot of tuning out and turning off there too. But those moments when I could open up and feel alive, I knew that something was real. I knew that that idea that I was sustained by love wasn't just an idea, that it was a relationship. It was even a feeling. 
but one that I would have to practice feeling, practice seeking out. I became attuned again to God. I sought after that love, and I found it over and over again for moments at a time. It began to permeate my relationships. I began to feel it sometimes on accident. I felt more and more awake to the presence of God in my life. And I knew where I had come from, that I had come from that love, that I was made for that love. Now, in the many years since then, that presence of God and my ability to feel it, that relationship between the truth of God's love and my perception of it, has really ebbed and flowed. There have been long periods of distance between me and that feeling, that sensation. But I know that God's presence has not ebbed and flowed because I am still here and I am not blinking in and out of existence despite my perception of the love that sustains me. I noticed that it was easier for me to connect to God when I was suffering. Has anyone else experienced that? But it's easier to connect to God when you're in pain, when you're suffering, when you're in crisis. If you have experienced that, know that you're not alone. I have many people in the room are, are offering their mm-hmm's and their rueful <laughs> nods of the head. Sometimes it can feel easier to connect to God when we are in crisis, which raises a lot of interesting questions, terrifying questions. If it feels easy for me to forget God when life is going well, and then I feel that longing, that absence when I'm in crisis, is that because God is with me when times are good? And in a time of crisis, I'm noticing that God has abandoned me and I long for God? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So why is it that we can find God more easily in times of crisis? Well, I'll tell you what it's been for me. When I am desperate, I am more willing to fumble. It is hard to do things that we are not good at. It is terrifying to reach out to God and not know if, you, if what you are finding is there and is real. But as crisis builds, as our hearts become more desperate, we are more willing to look stupid. We are more willing to cry out. We are less able to guard our deepest angers and fears and feelings of betrayal. We are more attuned to our own desperate need for connection and love. And so we are willing to fumble about. And when we fumble, when we seek, we will find God. This is the promise. This is what Jesus means when he says, knock and the door will be answered. Seek and you will find me. Now, we also want this to be immediate. We want to fumble for like a second, and then we want to nail it. But that fumbling is a process. It's a process of opening oneself to the truth that resides inside our very beings. And so when we are feeling estranged from God, when we are feeling that life is going fine, when we are feeling that we don't need to fumble in the dark, for a desperate solution to that loneliness that aches inside of us, it can be easy to ignore. But in those moments of our greatest need, something kicks in inside of us that says, now is the time, you are ready, fumble in the dark, it is worth it. Or maybe even you have nothing else left to try. But what if 
we can, in times of stability, or times of indifference, or times of joy and happiness, we can bring that same willingness to fumble, that same willingness to seek out, the trust in the idea that our God is a good shepherd, that we are part of a flock, that we are not alone in this searching. What if we decide that God is for us? The scriptures tell us that if God is for us, who can be against us? The scriptures say that we are more than victorious in God. Now, we may not feel that way, but what if we decide? What if we believe? What if we hold faith in that together? Can it give us the confidence to fumble a little in the dark? Jesus says in this scripture in John, I know my own and they know me. That can feel like a kick in the teeth if you don't feel like you really know God. Am I not yours? Am I not part of the club? Am I not part of the flock? I don't know you. I'm trying. But I think that what Jesus is really saying here is that God's love knows itself. That the love that animates you knows how to find its own sense of connection. And so no matter how estranged you feel from the love of God, because it is your core animating force, some part of you will always know. Whenever we disconnect, our truest self stays hidden in the love of God. And so if we are seeking after that love, that love that radiates that love that shows up not just in those perfect moments of relationship or connection or creation on this earth, but the love that is radiating through all creation, the love that brings you into existence, the love that breathes through your very lungs. You know that love. It's the thing you know better than anything else. It is the thing that sustains you. It is the thing that makes your heart beat. That love is more known to you and your body than your own name. And in this life, we may forget, we may close ourselves off, we may tune into some different frequency, but it is always calling us back home. I love you, I love you, I love you. As I was preparing with this text this week, way too late to inform the band, I couldn't help but sing a song over and over again. It's a classic Methodist hymn. O love that will not let me go. The ver first verse is, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. To translate, it is God's love that gives me life. And I can live that life on mute. That's my choice and God will respect that. But I get so tired. I get so tired under disconnection. I get so tired feeling cut off from my source. I get so lonely and weary. But what if I rest in the belief of that love that love that gives me life. And what if I spend that life that I've been given trying to connect to the love that sustains me in all things, trying to amplify it, trying like Jim Finley to just radiate it out in the world? I might find, I will find, 
that there is more sustaining love, that there is an ocean of love, that there is more depth to that love than I could ever have imagined. And my life, at at one point feeling so small and so closed off, my life can be made rich and full and more alive than I ever thought possible. A love that will not let me go. I truly believe that when we close ourselves off from love, from God and from one another, we are doing our best with what God gave us to get us through that moment. But when we feel a longing for more, that is evidence that those same systems of protection are telling us we are ready to open back up again. And so if you are here in this moment, hearing these words or reading these words and feeling that sense of longing, it is the Spirit telling you that you are ready for more, that you are ready for more love, that you are ready to connect again, that you are ready to open yourself up. And you may need to fumble. But the more we fumble in the dark, the more we fumble in our lives, the more we find God. And it is that God who brought us into being who greets us again with that same love in our lungs and says, I love you, I love you, I love you. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, you are the maker of all things. You breathe your breath into all things and we are grateful. And if we are not grateful in our bodies, we are grateful in our minds. Help us to look at the clouds and see your love. Help us to feel connection with our pets and feel your love. Help us to look into the eyes of our kin and feel your love. And God, help us to amplify that love in our bodies. May we connect to it. May we grow it. May we expand it. And may we pour that out. May we extend ourselves for the growth of that love inside our own selves for each other and God just to radiate that beautiful love right back to you oh love that will not let us go we rest in you we offer ourselves back to you and in gratitude we find the rich deep ocean flow of more and more love amen